a time of so much information, but so little understanding. A time of so many opinions, but so little truth. We need wisdom. God loves when we seek it. God gives when we seek it. Ever since I was a young adult and developed this appetite for reading, I have enjoyed going to brick and mortar bookstores to look at the shelves of books and see what I stumble across that I haven't heard about and might enjoy. Sure, I, I could do it on the web, but there's something about just being there physically in person. One of the things you notice year after year or decade after decade is that there's this perpetual supply of how-to books. How to get rich, um, how to lead better, how to build a better business, how to get more friends, how to be more popular, uh, how to be fit, how to lose weight. It just goes on and on and on. And, and typically the advice changes from year to year or decade to decade, but the, the desire to know how to live well or to live better is always there. And so this is what's so exciting for us to be going into the book of Proverbs because Proverbs is God's word to us, God's perspective, how to live better, and it's timeless. The followers of Jesus certainly believe this because even though Proverbs was written hundreds of years before they lived, they continually look back to the wisdom that it provided. I just got to show you some of these examples. Proverbs 3 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Now in the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews, he admonishes the people for forgetting these words that were written hundreds of years previously. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, and quoting Proverbs, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In Proverbs 3, verse 34, it says, Toward the scorners, he, speaking of God, is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. James, who was the leader of the church in the New Testament, says this in chapter 4. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, therefore Proverbs says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The apostle Peter says the same thing in one of his letters. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, referring to Proverbs. And of course, we don't want to forget the Apostle Paul. In Proverbs chapter 25, it says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, as Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, and, quoting Proverbs, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Timeless truth to help people live better back then and today. 
Now, as we move from the Old Testament to the New, there are some enhancements that we need to be aware of. It's like the vehicle that I drive is getting a little bit old now, but I've noticed that the car company makes the same model, but they've made enhancements to it. They've given it a new engine that's turbocharged, so it's more powerful, it gets better gas mileage, and so we need to understand our past in light of the present and what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're a New Testament believer, your relationship with God is now built on the person, the clear revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. If you're a New Testament believer, your ability to understand God's word and to live it out is now turbocharged by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that Jesus poured out to live inside of you when he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And this is so important because God wants you to be able to know his wisdom and to live it out because it touches so much of our lives, every area. So we've looked at different subjects. We've looked at work, we've looked at speech, we've looked at learning, we've, we've looked at money, and today we're gonna talk about friendship. Someone has said, show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Now we may argue the nuances of that, whether it's true at all times and all places, but it certainly does reflect the general statement of Proverbs that the company you keep matters. The friends you choose and how you choose to live with them has a huge impact on the person you become and the life that you experience. Proverbs 13 alludes to this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs is continually putting out to us that wisdom is the most valuable thing that we could ever go after. Like if you want to pursue something, pursue wisdom. It comes with a boatload of promises, most importantly, which is a right relationship with God. So if you're going to admire something in someone, um, it's not whether they are rich, whether they're successful, whether they have this huge online following. It's not how well they can sing or play an instrument or how well they can shoot a puck. What we should admire in a person is their wisdom. And someone who just exudes wisdom, we should want to be around them. We want to be in their company. And Proverbs says, if you do that, you will become wise. Proverbs is really good at, at giving us a contrast of choices. You choose this way, if you, you choose to be in the company of those who are wise, you will be wise. But if you choose this way, if you choose to live the opposite in the company of fools, however you want to define that, the result, you will suffer harm. So choose wisely. The company that you keep matters. We see this illustrated more in story form in Proverbs chapter 1. It says there in verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendants for your neck. The picture is given of truth being like this piece of jewelry that's beautiful, that when you, when you get God's wisdom and you apply it to your life, it becomes something that whereby you become attractive, your way of life becomes attractive. And this is the overwhelming, consistent message of Proverbs, that wisdom is so good for us. So why then the warning? Why does the son need to be taught to hear and not forsake what is being taught? Because we are tempted. Let's be honest. We are tempted. It goes on to say, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse 
Here's the warning. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood, and they set an ambush for their own lives. Now, Proverbs uses an extreme illustration, like being tempted to a life of crime, but it wants to get across something very important about where temptation comes from. You see, sometimes we are tempted from within, but sometimes the temptation comes through others so that the company you keep becomes very, very important in the choices that you make. I've seen this up close and personal. When I was middle school age, we were living in the city of Calgary and my older sister was in high school and she got into the wrong crowd and she would tell you to this day to her regret. Dora was a remarkable athlete, track and field basketball player in grade 10. In grade 10, she set the high school 100-yard dash record for the whole city. I used to love to go watch her play basketball. She was so good as an underage basketball player. But she threw it all away. All the promise of what her future could look like with scholarships and all that go with that, she threw it all away because she got into the wrong crowd and embraced the drug culture. If she was here today, she would echo the words of the father to the son in Proverbs. If sinners entice you, do not consent to them. Like, don't walk in their way. Now listen to the language of, of the group that's trying to call the son into their, into their midst. Come with us, do this. We shall do this. We'll share the purse. It's a language of unity and belonging and you know, if, if we can find ourselves in a community where even though we know what's going on is wrong, we find family there. If we don't find our identity and find our place in God's family, we become susceptible to temptation where we'll, do, we'll adjust our thinking, we'll adjust, adjust our patterns of behavior in order to find acceptance. The company that you keep matters. Now, some of you may be asking the question, does this mean I can only be friends with those who think the way that I do, especially when it comes to faith. If I'm, if I'm a Christian, do I only hang with others that are Christians? The answer is no. Remember, when we read Proverbs and we read a statement of general truth, it needs to be understood in the whole book of Proverbs and beyond that, really, in the whole Bible. It seems to me Jesus was referred to as a friend of sinners. He spent lots of time in the company of people who were of disputable reputation. And as we are called to follow him and as we in our love for Christ, we're compelled also to enlarge our circle of friends, but we need to do that with wisdom. The questions we need to be asking ourselves are like, is this a safe place for me? Am I in a relationship with these people where I'm being drawn into things that are negative, or can I remain in a positive position? And am I influencing others in a positive way in this relationship? Christian or non-Christian, to ask the question, does this relationship help me to know and follow Jesus better? Or is it pulling me away? See, some of us are weak in some areas and strong in another. And, and for one person to be in a certain environment, it's no big deal. They feel no temptation in it. For another, it could be devastating. They need to stay away. Do not consent. My life has been so enriched by relationships with people who don't know Jesus yet. And maybe they never will. But through our conversation of honesty and sharing what we believe, my faith has been sharpened. And I pray for them, and I hope that one day they will come into a living relationship with Jesus. But they are not a project to me. Neither are they trying to pull me away. The company that you keep matters. Proverbs expands on that with another perspective. We read in Proverbs chapters 27, verse 9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You know, as we're in relationship, in friendship with one another, we, 
we tend to share our, our troubles and difficulties and we wanna, we wanna hear what our friend thinks about it. We wanna get their advice. We wanna get their counsel. It's not like a professional counseling meeting where we make an appointment, you've got an hour, you pay for it, you sit on a chair or a couch and the other person is giving you their professional advice. No, it's very organic. It comes out of relationship and conversation as you're walking together in life. And Proverbs tells us that's a really good thing. It says in Proverbs chapter 11, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. When I think of the word abundance, I don't just think of quantity, I also think of variety. Um, in our relationships, it's so healthy to have friendships that go beyond what it might be natural to us, to have relationships with people of other perspectives, of other nationalities, and even social strata. We gotta ask ourselves in, the, in today's context where racism is, is such a prevalent topic, we may think we have no ill will towards another nationality, but are any of them our friends? You see, we have blind spots and it's so healthy to have the counsel of others from other perspectives of nationalities to come and learn from each other so that we can be better for it and live better for it. An example of this is, is racism and the subject of blackface. I mean, you may think as a white person, as I am, what's the big deal about blackface? But when you understand its history, it means a little something different. You see, white actors in a time of segregation used to polish their faces with black paint or grease, and they would act out as black slaves in particular, often in a demeaning way. If you don't know this, it's just black polish, but if you do know it, this is bad. It was pointed out to me that 10 years ago at Central Heights, blackface actually occurred in a Central Heights youth event. People were mimicking a TV show in which there was a black character, so someone dressed up as a black person. And I'm sure for most people that were there, it was like no big deal, maybe never even registered. But it could have been an offense to someone then, and most certainly today, even seen as racism. This was certainly not the intent. And if you've been offended by this, I want to apologize to you today. It is the ongoing conversation though with others of different nationalities, races, perspectives, whereby we are a learning community and we grow and we understand one another and then we change our behavior to live for the better. My life has been so enriched by my relationships with uh, my black African-American friends, my Indo-Canadian friends, my Middle Eastern friends. As Proverbs says, in the abundance, in the variety and quantity of counselors, there is safety. Now, Proverbs so far has had to, helped us to look at the company that we keep, but now it also wants to point out to us the kind of company we are to those that are in that company. In other words, what kind of friend can I be to the company? We don't want to be the kind of people that are sitting here like Pharisees thinking, oh, we got it all together and we're judging those around us to see whether they're good enough to be in a relationship with us. I also know that when we talk about the subject of friendship, for some of us, it, brings up some pain and wounds because there's a lot of loneliness and maybe you feel so alone today. Well, Proverbs wants to focus us now on being a good friend to the company that we keep, to focus there. And so I'm gonna give us five practical things that comes out of the teaching of Proverbs and the life of Jesus that he modeled. The first one is open. You gotta be open. We could use the word authentic or real. In John chapter 15, Jesus says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. In true friendship, there's a disclosure, there's an opening up of who we really are, what we really think, what we're really about. 
And so it is with Jesus that he opens up to his disciples, you know, what his heart, how his heart beats, the work that he's been called to by the Father, and he discloses it to them. He shares it with them. It's so important. And it's the beginning of, of real deep friendship. You've got to be open. Because we're like onions, aren't we? Um, we have different layers to us, and we know it's not really wise just to share the core of who we are and what we're about with just anybody. But over time, as Jesus with his 12 disciples, so with us, as over time as we develop relationships with people, we, we come to know who are safe, who are trustworthy, and there we can share our stories, we can share our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations. We can also share our failures and disappointments, experience true friendship and encouragement with one another. In the movie, Searching, uh, the story is about a man whose daughter has disappeared, and he goes doing a discovery to find out what has happened, and as he he does his discovery. He, he finds out that nobody in his daughter's high school really knew her. And when in the story it appears that she has died, um, everybody's posting. They're posting, oh, how they miss her. What a great person she was. Oh, man, I just so wish she was here with us. It was so sympathetic, but it wasn't really real. See, she was seen, but not known. She was watched, but not befriended. And this is why today in a larger church, we feel it's so important to be connected into a group where you can know and be known, whether it's a threes and fours or a group of like eight to 12 people, where you can share your story with one another. And over time, as you, as you learn to trust one another, that you can share your failures, you can pray for one another, and you can grow and you can know Jesus better in community. We were created for this, but you've got to be open. Secondly, You've got to be truthful. A good friend is open. A good friend is truthful. A good friend loves you, but loves you enough to tell you the truth. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Verse 17 of the same chapter, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Jesus was like this. Jesus was the ultimate truth teller with his disciples whom he loved so much. So in Luke chapter 9, we see these stories of the disciples, and they aren't really following Jesus all that well. They're just sort of fumbling along. So there's this one occasion where they don't think Jesus can hear them, but they're having this conversation as to who is the greatest among them. And of course, Jesus knows what's in his heart. We read, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Busted. Later, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and the disciples are with him, uh, there's some, the town in, in Samaria, they're not receiving them all that well because they know they're not going to stay. And so the disciples are wondering, hey, should we do some damage to these Samaritan people? We read in Luke 9, 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He told them the truth. A true friend is open. A true friend is truthful. A true friend is also gracious. We read in Proverbs chapter 10, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You know, a true friend will tell you the truth, but they'll tell it to you alone. They won't broadcast it to other people. They'll never take advantage of your friendship and to hurt and cause you harm. This is so important because true friendship is based on honesty with one another. And if there's no grace, we can't be honest with one another because we're all flawed. 
We're all in a place where, where we don't have it all together. And when you open up to someone and you want to hear their truth, but you also want to hear it in a gracious way with no condemnation. And so we need those places where we can confess our sins, but we can also experience healing and transformation and grace in those places. Hey, if I'm ever in a place where I feel like I can't extend grace to, one, to another person, then I don't really know the grace that I need, and I so desperately need grace. And Jesus models that. Jesus is the greatest grace dispenser of all. Jesus' life is all about grace. How he could come and, and his whole life is bent towards the, the idea that through his work, what he's going to do is he's going to cover over our sins, our transgressions with one another, but even beyond that, our transgressions before God, that they'll be covered over, that they'll be removed, that they will be not in our face to condemn us. But as it says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, those transgressions, will be removed from us. A true friend is open, a true friend is truthful, a true friend is gracious. We also find that a true friend is faithful. If we read the context of Psalm 103, it says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. And then it talks about the removal of our transgressions. That word love there in Psalm 103 is the word kesed. And you've heard me talk about this before. It's a covenant. It's a loyal kind of love. It is a faithful love. As Proverbs says in, ver in chapter 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. He's faithful. That love is there. It, it, it exists in the good times and the bad. As I look back to my own life and thinking on this subject, I realize that I've been blessed with some amazing friends over a long period of time. What a privilege. What a gift from God. Friends who have been there, you know, when your children are born, to celebrate with you a graduation, to celebrate with you holidays, weekends. They're there, they're there in times of play, beach volleyball, cards, uh, soccer, tennis, even pickleball, ugh, and they're there when you most need them in the times of your deep valleys when you just need to lean on someone and have someone pray for you. That's what a true friend is like, faithful. Now, we may admire that. We want to, may want to be that, but we need to, to realize that it happens in the little decisions that we make every day. A, faith, a friend loves at all times, and it's in those little decisions that we make every day that we prove ourselves faithful and our love is carried out so like when a friend invites you to come over for an event and, and you go, oh, you, instead of saying yes, you say maybe because you want to think, hey, there might be something better that I could do. Or when a friend asks you, hey, I'm a bit of a bind here. Can you come help me? But you've got these plans. A friend loves at all times. And this is how God has loved us, faithfully with a covenant love at all times. A God who loves us in our best, a God who loves us in our worst a God who never leaves us, whose love never forsakes us. He is the ultimate and true friend, which leads us to the word sacrifice. I guess if we were to say, you know, can you sum up all these five things about, like, what does a true friend look like? I would say a true friend is loving. And here's what John says about what love looks like. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Ultimately, the best kind of friend is one that will lay his life down for you. This is Jesus. Jesus who came not for himself and to serve himself, but to serve us, to lay his life down. He died a death he didn't deserve. He hung on a cross as a criminal without committing any sin. 
and he did it so that you and I could have a right relationship with God. He did this when we were enemies so that we could become God's friends. In light of what God has done for us, we want to respond in such a way that we want to be like he was to us, to other people. And we want to be like he was to us, back to himself. We have said today, the company that you keep has a huge impact, that it really matters. And if that's true, then the company that you keep, the most important relationship that you have, that you need to keep and be in the company of is God himself. And out of that relationship, then, to think about your other relationships with people, are those relationships helping you to know and to follow God, to follow Jesus better? And as you ponder and think about that, it may cause you to make some decisions in your life. Maybe there's a relationship that actually needs to be cut off. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be adjusted. You need to have a conversation and say, hey, you know, when we're together, we don't really motivate. We don't talk. We never have a conversation about how we're following Jesus Maybe it leads, needs to lead you to a place where you begin to think more about, hey, how can you and I become better friends to each other? Friends that are open, friends that are truthful, gracious, faithful, sacrificial, as God was to us. Can you imagine a community of people on a journey with God to know and follow him better, wanting to be like him and the way he's been a friend to us, being a friend to each other and back to God? Can you imagine what that could look like? That's what Proverbs wants to point us towards. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your timeless word. I thank you for giving us wisdom how to live each day in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Lord, we just want to hold our friendships before you today and say, God, would you please lead us and guide us? Would you help us to know if there are places where we need to make adjustments? And if we need to come into relationship with new friends, Lord, we're going to trust you to bring those into our mind, into our existence. But Lord, may we use our friendship uh, to encourage, to grow and help one another. And Lord, ultimately to honor and glorify you. We ask this knowing that you will empower us by your Holy Spirit. Turbocharge us, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen.